Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can learn more about the vision or give financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the Watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. Well, it was about a year ago this weekend that um, Awaken, along with almost every other church, called an audible and took services online. And uh, I was just reflecting on that in the earlier service and was reminded of just how thankful I am for the church. Amen. The fact that we get to be here for each other and that we get to gather uh, and worship the Lord together is really a, a profound thought. And uh, what I want to do today is, is launch into a new series that's going to take us all the way to Easter. It's called Love Runs Red. And the theme of the scriptures, really the whole Old Testament, the theme running through the whole Old Testament uh, is this idea that the love of God is found in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And the question we have to ask is, in the Old Testament, how do we see Jesus? Like, where, where, do, where can we, in the Old Testament, where do we find the name of Jesus? Or how do we know that it's actually uh, the love of God is found in Jesus? And so we have to understand the backstory of Scripture a little bit. I think if I were to talk about Easter, most of us would acknowledge the fact that Good Friday, uh, we, we acknowledge and celebrate that Jesus died on the cross. Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection but it's possible that maybe we, we can miss the weight of why that had to happen. In other words, if we scale out and ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? God who, Tevin referenced earlier, God who hung the stars, spoke everything into existence. Couldn't he find another way to have a relationship with us? Why did it have to just be through Jesus' death on the cross? I want to read this to you out of Romans chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in several different scriptures this moment, this morning. But Romans chapter 3 This is what we find. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Everybody say atonement. Atonement. I know this is not seminary. This is not Bible college today. But I'm going to do a little bit of teaching so it'll add weight to the preaching. Uh, it's going to be a little more education this morning that will, I promise, lead to some inspiration. But like I said, I want you to know the backstory of the cross. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. The concept of atonement, the reality of blood is often missed in church today. And what I mean by that is we, we can easily accept uh, the crucifix that may be on your chain or this, this version of Christianity that's sanitized. But the reality is when we look at the cross, it is a, it's a very violent scene. Several years ago, I think it was uh, more than several years ago, I think it was 2004, uh, a movie came out produced by Mel Gibson called The Passion of the Christ. And maybe you've seen it. I don't know that everyone has seen it, being that it's an older film. But in 2004, I was on staff, uh, as I was a youth, youth minister, on staff at a great church in the upstate of South Carolina, and everybody knew about this movie coming out. Obviously, Mel Gibson was producing it. 
Um, and it was getting all kinds of mixed reviews. It's about a two and a half hour long movie that chronicles the, really the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus. And as the reviews were coming out, one of the, the greatest points of contention was this was a rated R movie, but it had Jesus in it. And I remember like, you know, in church, you don't go see rated R movies. That was like a, a major no-no. Yet here Jesus is in the movie. So we got all these churches and Christians talking about going to see a movie that's a rated R movie and their whole life they've said, you can't go see rated R movies. So what are we gonna do? And I remember our staff, we loaded up in a bus and we went and saw this movie together. And I recall sitting in the theater and seeing the scenes of, of Jesus being arrested, of him being beaten and him being tortured and hanging on the cross, the feedback. Uh, there was a Brazilian pastor that actually had a heart attack during the film, stories of people walking out during the movie. And I remember watching it and realizing for the first time, I didn't have a clear understanding of what first century Roman crucifixion actually looked like. And the, the weight of it, the sheer violence of it, the nature of it was, was shocking to say the least. I would encourage you to go watch the movie. See, what I, what I think, and maybe we don't want to even admit it, but I think it's possible that, that we've sanitized salvation and Christianity so much that it's really watered down the weight of what it means and why it had to happen. And so if you'll allow me, I wanna venture into the Old Testament for a minute and talk about why the blood of Jesus on the cross actually means anything to us because I believe like the whole hymn says, there's power in the blood of Jesus, amen? Genesis chapter two in the Garden of Eden. You've heard us reference this story Adam and Eve have a perfect relationship with God. They sin against God. God kills an animal, sheds the animal's blood, uses the skins to cover the bodies of Adam and Eve. It's the first bloodshed sacrifice. Why was a sacrifice necessary? Leviticus chapter 16, if you got your Bibles, I'm sorry, Leviticus 17, if you have your Bibles, verse 11. This is what God says to Moses. Moses was the leader of God's people in the Old Testament. He's led them out of Egypt. They're now establishing a community as the people of God. God speaks to Moses and establishes this blood covenant. And this is what he says in verse 11. For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. So God who created every living creature God decides it's actually the blood inside of a person or inside of a creature that gives its life. Now, when I first read this, I was thinking to myself, um, what, what makes somebody alive? You have to have a brain, right? You have to have a heart. You need some lungs, be helpful, right? But did you know that you, you, can, live, you can live without almost every major organ in your body? Now, I know we have medical professionals in the room, uh, and you would probably quickly correct me on this, but I was, I was reading up, y'all know in 2016, there was a man who survived living 555 days without a heart. I know, it's crazy. He, he, he had a contraption that functioned like a heart, but physically he did not have an organ. He didn't have a heart. Uh, you can live without a lung on a machine. You can live without a kidney or a liver. You can live without most of your limbs. You can have prosthetic eyes or even knees, like I have a fake knee, right? We, we have science that can figure out a lot of these things, but what you cannot live without is blood. 
Like you drain me of blood, guess what? I'm done, right? And, and, and I think there's, there's, there's value in this because God says that's gonna be the identifier. So even though we go back thousands of years and we take away all those years of scientific advances, the truth still remains. Blood is what makes somebody alive. And what God says here to Moses is this. When, when you sin, so when we sin, what it does is it breaks relationship and it leads to death. The wages of sin is death. So when we sin against God, what we're saying is that uh, we're separated from life with God and so it leads to death. And the only way to be forgiven of our sins is to exchange the life of something in place of ourselves. God says, I'm gonna make a way for animal sacrifice to do that. And so he tells Moses, this is, the, this is the practice that's gonna be carried out by the people. When they want to come into my presence, they have to bring an animal and sacrifice that animal to be able to get into my presence. The bloodshed of that animal gives them passageway to be in relationship with me. So when God leads the people out of Egypt and Moses brings them into the desert and establishes this community, He says, I want you to erect a tabernacle in the middle of the community and I'm gonna live in and amongst my people. And so imagine like, just imagine a building. It was actually a tent, but imagine a building and God's presence in the building and the people wanted to come be in God's presence, but they couldn't get to his presence because they were not holy and he was. And so God says, the only way you can get to me is if you bring a sacrifice. And so they would have to grab a lamb or a goat and they would have to bring it to the altar And they knew they were doing this because they were sinful. They knew they were doing this because they were separated from God. They would bring their animal and they would take a knife and they would cut its throat and they would allow the blood to be shed all over the altar. And they would do this time and time and time again. It was costly. It was messy. Can you imagine the sounds? Like I I like to put myself into scripture. Can you imagine the sounds and the scenes, the smells, the weight what was taking place with all these sacrifices. The people had a view of their sin, I think that's very different than ours, right? Like if, if you were faced with that every single day where you had to bring something that cost you and laid on the altar and you had to make the sacrifice yourself, your view of sin was that it disgusted you, it cost you, it was painful and you didn't want anything to do with it. See, I think it's possible if we miss the reality of the blood sacrifice, our view of sin gets diminished. And if we have a low view of sin, then we have a low view of our savior, right? Because we don't understand our need for him. And you go, well, let's tie this thing together, right? Because they go through this sacrifice daily, daily. Well, then there's one day in the history of the Israelites that was different. And this is what I really wanna highlight because this is where the teaching comes in. There was one day every year in the history of the Israelites called the day of atonement. There's that word again, atonement. And on the day of atonement, it was different. You didn't have to bring a sacrifice to the temple. In fact, there was a high priest, his name was Aaron, and the high priest did all the work for you. The command on you as the people of God was to rest, was to fast, which means withhold from eating, abstain from food and drink. You were to fast and you were to rest because the high priest was gonna do all the work. And look at what the high priest had to do on the day of atonement. This is found in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29. On the 10th day of the seventh month, both the citizen and the foreigner living with you 
are to enter into a solemn fast and refrain from all work. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. In the presence of God, you will be made clean of all your sins. It is a Sabbath of all Sabbaths. You must fast. It is a perpetual ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father is to make the atonement. He puts on the sacred linen garments. He purges the holy of holies by making atonement. He purges the tent of meeting and the altar by making atonement. He makes atonement for the priest and all the congregation. This is a perpetual ordinance for you. Once a year, atonement is to be made for all the sins of the people of Israel. And so Aaron did it just as God commanded Moses. Sometimes I feel like our view of sin is, is a lot like my, uh, my iTunes account or my Apple account. Here's what I mean. I've got four kids and all of their apps and purchases are linked to my bank account. What that means is when they buy apps, I know about it if it costs money and we haven't given permission. Or once they have the app and they do an upgrade in the app, we get charged for it. Y'all know that's how they make money, right? They go after kids and they lose games and they're like, I need the bonus pack. And so they charge them money. Well, every now and then I'll get a notification, right, that uh, 99 cent has been charged to my card. And I'm like, what the heck could this be for? You know, I'm looking at it and I know I didn't buy anything for 99 cent. Ah, it's an app. And I just kind of swipe it off like it's just a dollar. It doesn't make that big of a difference. Or a dollar 49, I'll see a notification. It's like, all right, swipe it out. And I just kind of attribute it, man, Brooklyn bought something or Braley bought something. And, um, but every now and then there's like a 24.99 that pops up. And it's like, okay, that's a meal. We, we need to do something about this, right? And I go have a conversation and figure out where it came from. Uh, two years ago, I had a 99.99. That was my competitive son in Madden football. He bought the power pack because he lost the playoffs, right? So that was a big conversation. But the little ones, they don't really affect us that much. It's like, ah, just, just, it's not that big a deal. It's kind of swipe it out. And I was thinking about sin because it's the same way, Right? Like a, a true view of sin, if you were in the nation of Israel, you couldn't even get to the temple because you were sinful in and of yourself. Your nature was sinful. Whether you committed a big sin or, or not, you still had to make a sacrifice. And I think sometimes in the church, Christians, if I, if I can go so far as to say this, we'll make a big deal of big sins, right? We'll go, oh, murder or abortion or drunkenness or an affair. These are the biggies. But the little ones, we just kind of swipe away. It's not a big a deal. It's not that big a deal. And, and, I, and I think enough of those little ones, we diminish what this actually means. Y'all, the Day of Atonement, this is what took place on the Day of Atonement. The high priest, this is what would happen. If you lived in Israel, this is your favorite day of the year. You didn't have to kill one of your animals. You didn't have to like walk to the temple. You knew the high priest was doing this on your behalf. And this is what he would do. He would wake up, take off his flashy garments, Typically, the high priest wore like a decorated vest, had all these Jews or these, uh, these gems in it, right? And he would walk around and he was very decorated. On the, on the Day of Atonement, he would take that off and he would cleanse himself. And he put on these linen garments. And then he would take two goats and a bull from the people. Clear instructions from God to Moses, Moses to the high priest. He would take these two goats and he would take this bull and he would take it to the temple. And he would take the bull and sacrifice it and sprinkle the blood of this bull all over the temple and over the altar. Why? He was cleansing it 
Then he would take the goats, these two goats, and cast lots. And whichever, uh, whichever it, lot it fell on, so like, say, goat A, that's the one that would be sacrificed on the altar. And then the other goat, have you ever heard the term scapegoat? The, the other goat would be led out into the wilderness, right? And, and let go 10 miles away from camp to never return back to the camp. What is going on here? Basically, the high priest is sacrificing the bull to sanctify and cleanse the temple. And then he's taking one goat and sacrificing it on behalf of all the sins of the people. And then that high priest would lay his hands on the other goat, transferring those sins to be taken away to where they never again would enter the camp. And every year this would happen. The Day of Atonement was a special day in the life of the Israelites because everybody on that day didn't do anything. They fasted and they rested and they knew our God is providing a way for us to be in relationship because of this practice. We are atoned. Our sins are atoned for. They are substituted for by the high priest who's making sacrifice on this day. And then they would follow the Day of Atonement with this celebration, right? Because anytime you're forgiven, there's a celebration. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. Because what you should be asking is, hey, we're the church, we're Christians, we don't have to kill animals anymore, amen? And y'all listen, our view of animals is a little higher than what it was in the Old Testament. Y'all are like, not, not my baby, my little puppy, right? And I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. But what I want us to see is that the same cost, the same cost, the weight, the mess, the, the work that it took to atone for their sins. On this day, the high priest took care of it. When we get to the New Testament, when we look at the cross, this theme of blood through the New Testament, we have to look at the person of Jesus. We all, we celebrate Christmas. And at Christmas, we sing about this, this baby that came and was wrapped in linen cloths and placed in a manger, right? This high priest that stepped down from the throne of heaven, took on the form of a servant, was humble, right? And humility came down to earth, was wrapped in linen cloths, served his life away. After 33 years, was arrested. And Jesus, when he was arrested, right? Like we see him at the cross and we see lots cast for his robe. And then we know that Jesus was sacrificed for the sins of the world. That's you and me. And Psalm 103, 12 tells us that those sins were cast as far as the east is from the west, that Jesus is the all-encompassing sacrifice. And Hebrews 9, 27 tells us that he's our high priest once and for all. He's died once and for all for the sins of all the people. See, I, I think sometimes we can easily come to church and even be raised in church our entire lives and hear this story that, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but we don't really know why. Here's the why. You don't have to work for it anymore. I mean, think about it, y'all. If, if somehow you think, well, I've got to go to church, and if I don't go to church every single Sunday, God's going to be mad at me. Or if I don't give my tithe the way that I should and count it up to the percent, God's going to be upset with me. Or if I don't serve people, God's going to... You don't have to earn it. Can you imagine living in the, the camp of the Israelites on the Day of Atonement? And let's say you didn't care anything. Let's say you didn't ever make a sacrifice for your sins. You never came to the temple. But on the day of atonement, you caught word, hey, look, you, you just got, y'all know what's happening today? Man, today the high priest is, we're forgiven. We're for, he's making a sacrifice, he's making atonement for our sins. There was this understanding and awe of what God was doing 
that followed in this celebration called Sukkot. Everybody say Sukkot. It was a massive celebration because their sins had been forgiven. Y'all, I think Easter would be our modern day Sukkot where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that his blood was shed. And because of his bloodshed, that brings forgiveness of sins. Hebrew tells us without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's God making a way. And this theme runs all the way through scripture. And what's interesting is that Jesus in Luke chapter four, Luke chapter four, Jesus shows up and uh, one of the coolest stories I think early on in his ministry is when he goes to church, right? Because Jesus would just, he'd go into the synagogue, he'd go to church and he'd just start like quoting scripture or doing miracles and people are like, oh, it's, this guy teaches different, right? He didn't always reveal who he was to them. But in Luke chapter four, he walks into the church and he picks up a scroll. And this is what he reads from the scroll. Luke chapter four, verse 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus goes into church and he picks up the scroll and he reads off this account from Isaiah 61. But if you pick up Isaiah 61 and you read where he was reading from, Jesus left off part of the sentence. And it's interesting because Jesus being God, right? And being the word himself, Jesus doesn't forget anything. In fact, there's nothing in the gospels that's accidental, right? Everything is intentional. The most intentional man that ever lives. But in Isaiah 61, when we read the same thing Jesus was quoting, this is what we find. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All's good up to that point, but this is what Jesus left off. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God. The day of vengeance for our God. Why, why, does, why does Jesus not finish the sentence? And if we connect the dots between what was happening in the Old Testament, all these sacrifices for sins, that was God saying, there has to be a death penalty for these sins. That's vengeance. But in the New Testament, Jesus stops quoting that verse because in him is the vengeance for our sins. He is the end of the sentence. And what he's saying in Luke chapter four is this. I've come to declare good news. I've come to set captives free. I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. I've come to forgive sins. There's no more vengeance to be made because I'm gonna absorb it all. And when you look at the cross, for you that are Christians, listen, I know there's some people listening right now that, that may not have a relationship with God and you've not made a decision to put your faith in Jesus yet. I hope that you'll continue learning and listening and that you'll come to the point where you recognize that's the best decision you can ever make. But for those who are listening right now and claim to be Christians, we have to understand that there's no, there's, there's no more vengeance, there's no more payment, there's nothing more that we need to do. When we look at the cross and Jesus dying for our sins, payment has been made in full. And that is good news, that's favor. And that's why we celebrate. And when I think about uh, Jesus' best friend, his name was John. John was a guy uh, that grew up. Think about it like this. 
John grew up making sacrifices at the temple. So John was a Jewish, he was a Jewish boy. So he grew up like watching his family take animals to the temple. He grew up celebrating the Day of Atonement every single year, right? Because this was a part of his religion. And then one day, Jesus comes walking by and Jesus says, hey, John, come follow me, be my disciple. So John starts following after Jesus becomes his best friend, witnesses Jesus die on the cross, is charged to take care of Jesus' mom, Mary, after Jesus goes to the cross. And John writes this to us in 1 John chapter four. He writes to the church and it's interesting what he says. He says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. John, who for the first part of his life carried out works in an attempt to earn the love of God, at some point came face to face with Jesus. And then he saw Jesus go to the cross. And now he believes, hey, this is what love is. Not that we pursue trying to get a relationship with God, but that we accept he loved us and sent Jesus to us. That's the gospel. If you're here and you think you have to earn and get to and achieve, I need us to understand the work has been done for us. We receive and accept and share that message. That's what leads to the celebration. Listen, if if you're here and you've never placed your trust in Jesus, if you've never acknowledged that he is the sacrifice for your sins, if you've never gotten to the place where you understand my sin separates me from God, but God made a way for me to be in relationship through Jesus, there is no greater day to accept that truth than today. And the same thing that happened on that day of atonement where all your sins were removed and you were brought into relationship with God, that's what happens at the cross. And there's a celebration that follows. And that good news that Jesus talks about in Isaiah 61, that he's bringing good news to the poor, that he's binding up the brokenhearted, that there's liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those that are bound. What's he saying? He's saying that you've been living, you've been living with these chains on. You've been trying to make a way on your own. You've been trying to get out of your situation. You've been wrestling with addiction. You've been battling with depression. Jesus says, look, I've I've come to take care of all that because in me, you have favor. In me, you have freedom. And in me, you have life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but through me. And today you need to make a decision to give your life to Jesus. I wanna invite you to do it right now. Every head bowed right now in this moment. Every head bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed, even at home. Maybe you're sitting in your living room right now. Maybe your spouse is on the other couch. Just close your eyes right now. And say, God, I know I've sinned and that separated me from you, but I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, to be the sacrifice for my sins. Thank you for saving me. I believe Jesus rose from the dead on the third day and because he rose to life, I too can have life. Today, I trust you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Amen.